it's hard to speak your mind these days. Voicing your opinion is tough in a climate where you're either seen as an ultra-conservative or a bleeding-heart liberal. But what about our perspective? What about the Gen X perspective? Hi, I'm Tony, a latchkey kid from the 80s and 90s. Now I'm in my 40s, wearing cargo shorts, collecting Star Wars figures, and reminiscing about the days before my first cell phone. The Gen X perspective is for us, caught somewhere in between boomers and millennials, where we see things a bit differently. I'm tired of staying silent. It's time to rant, discuss, unload, and debate. Join Tony and his guests as they tackle the topics of pop culture, sports, religion, and yes, even politics. If life's a Rubik's Cube, we've got the experience to tackle it. Welcome to The Gen X Perspective with Tony Rendazzo. Hey, how's everybody doing today? So back for another episode here. So I was um, on Friday. I was uh, had to go pick up my uh, my car that had been in the shop for weeks and had to get a bunch of work done on it. And um, as I was driving it home, um, I had had some upgrades done to it as well. Gave me a little more horsepower and um, and uh, it. <laughs> I spent um, some time driving and uh, and laughing as I was uh, on my way home, and um, it 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 really made me um, think about uh, my first car um, when I was back uh, when I was sixteen years old. So jumping back to uh, back in the uh, late uh 80s as it would be uh i was um <laughs> um really late 80s i was uh, you know 16 years old freedom meant getting your driver's license and my whole world was around this so it was probably arguably since i sucked in high school like the one thing that i think i took seriously and studied was getting my driver's license and the big deal about going down on my birthday, which happened to land during the week, and going and taking the test and getting that driver's license. Um, prior to that, I'd gotten my learner's permit and was super stoked to be able to go down and do this. And, um, and before I turned 16, my dad um, went out and bought a car that wasn't running to teach me how to work on cars. Um, it was, uh, at the time, which I still wish I owned this car because I'm an idiot. And when you're young and you don't realize things was a 1964 and a half, two plus two fastback Mustang. And, uh, would be a, a hell of a car to own today. Um, by all standards, uh, even if it was not restored fully, and, um, and I started working on that car, uh, early, I mean, I was 14, 15 ish. I mean, it was a solid year, year and a half before I ever got my license, um, and started working on this car. Um, and it really quickly turned into a, uh, what would be uh, referred to as a frame off restoration, totally tore apart engine out everything off down to bare metal and brought back once I think my dad realized how big the project was, um, and how long it was going to take. Um, 
before my 16th birthday, I got another car uh, and he, <laughs> and, and my father being a kid of the hot rod era himself realized that I was going to kill myself in a car that was souped up. So he bought me a, another 1965 Mustang, a uh, regular coupe, a six cylinder straight six. Now, if you put a tow ball on that car, um, you could probably tow damn near anything because it had all sorts of torque, but had no horsepower at all. It looked pretty, but it wasn't going to win any races. It wasn't even going to try to win a race. But about the easiest engine to work on, it ran. It didn't need to be tore apart. And I had my first car, 1965 Mustang straight. Six. Now, uh, I love that car. I put a brand new interior in it. Um, I learned how to work on the motor. I made every mistake on the planet. I broke every bolt on the block you probably could break, which is not good when you're dealing with motors. And about the only thing I didn't do on that car myself or learn how to do was, you know, tune the brakes in and, uh, and deal with uh, the transmission all that much, I'm guessing, um, brakes, because I was, even at 16, smart enough to realize that a brake job needed to be done by somebody that knew how to do it, than a dumb kid that was going to crash the car more than likely at some point anyway, and um, brakes were probably important. <laughs> so, um, long story short, 16 birthday, 16th birthday came around, and lo and behold, I got my license, and off I was free to roam the world and drive cars and cause trouble, which I did. And um, I was uh, probably not the best driver, I'm going to say. I was, um, if, I, if I reminisce back on all the stupid shit I did driving cars, um, not from the perspective of being outright dangerous to the public uh, in a way that I shouldn't have had my license, but stupid and distracted. So back then you were distracted by tapes for your tape player um, or friends in the car that were, those were your distractions, not texting, um, not all the electronics. It had no electronics. You turned your high beams on, on the floor, which, oh my God, that story is uh, hilarious. Um, so those of you who are older, um, probably remember the little button um, that your left foot would control that turned your high beams on and off. Well, when I started working on that car, I was crawling around in there doing something, and my dad was helping me in. And, and I said, hey, Dad, what is this thing? What is this, what is this little knob here or button or what is this? And he kind of had a funny look on his face, and he said, that's for your high beams your headlights and I thought that was about the funniest thing in the whole world and laughed my fool head off and jumped in the car and started pressing it with my foot and I had only experienced you know high beams and regular cars at that point were up on the dash and uh and he still tells that story to people to this day on how that was the moment that he realized he was um getting old <laughs> was um the high beam button that you used with your foot and uh, 
and I have a ton of memories like that with my dad and working on that car and others, um, or getting caught trying to cover up things that I did to, um, cars in our driveway. So, uh, as I'm driving this 65 Mustang around, I was, um, doing dumb things, rushing to work or to high school or whatever. And I lived out of that car. That car was everything. I had my radio in it and I'm always putting new speakers in it that, I, you know, every time I could afford to go down and buy something, I would add something to it. Eventually I had new carpet and new seat covers and a new dash pad. And every time I could afford something, we would order it out of a catalog because there was no interweb really at that point. So um, the internet wasn't the place to go. The catalog was, we're down at the shop. If you knew where the Mustang, uh, restoration place was, you'd go down and buy stuff over the counter. So, um, as I'm working on this car, mind you, it didn't run all the time. So my dad had a Chevy pickup truck that I drove from time to time and sometimes longer stretches and sometimes shorter, depending on how broke my car was, um, not probably because he wanted me to drive it, I don't think. More because we lived, although we were in Southern California, we really lived in a rural area it's called Santiago Canyon. Actually, Majesca Canyon is where we lived. And that was the foothills of Orange County. So my closest neighbor was a half a mile away, if you can believe that, in California. And this was in my high school years. And so it was a, it was a pain in the butt for to take me anywhere that that meant somebody had to drive me so there was an incentive for me to as long as I was kind of holding it together and not failing all of my classes in high school and being a punk um, they would let me drive especially to school every day because it was a a huge hassle so he had this pickup truck Um, it wasn't anything um, extravagant at the time it was really just kind of a basic pickup and I would drive that and um from time to time, I would do stupid things. So the one thing that I really remember and I almost got away with is I believe mom and dad were out of town and I was driving that truck around and I want to say I had a f- my f- best friend in the car with me and maybe my girlfriend and there was a whole group of us that were going to go drive up Saddleback Mountain which was kind of this really a foothill, but this mountain in Orange County. Anybody from there would remember Saddleback. It's still there. It's probably burned down a couple times, but it's still there. And um, we were going to take these service roads up. And it was, uh, we were hanging out with uh, a bunch of people, some older than me, probably most, some, you know, my age, friends. And everybody had CB radios back then was pretty popular still. And, um, we were going to take these, uh, fire roads slash dirt roads up to the top of Saddleback at night. And up at the top of Saddleback mountain is a bunch of, at the time, TV repeaters and antennas and blah, blah, blah. And it was just somewhere to go drive up in the dirt in the mountains and go mess around. I mean, we weren't up there drinking beer or partying, but it was just going up, having fun, being stupid kids. And, um, I learned driving on those dirt roads at a very young age that unless you are in the front of the group, you can't see shit. So we're driving in a caravan. I mean, maybe there were 10 of us and we're going up the hill and 
driving around and couldn't see anything because of the dust and it was dark and we were dumb and I hit or drove over a boulder (laughs) which collectively crushed a section of the exhaust pipe in this truck. So, oh my God, I get in a panic. I didn't get stuck, but it sounded like, well, it sounded like there was no exhaust left in the truck and it was loud and there was no hiding it from my dad who was going to be home in like a day or two. I mean, it was maybe that was like a, we'll call that a Saturday night and he was going to be home Sunday night or Monday and I was going to get busted. Well, our neighbor was a professional welder that lived a couple houses down and I got it home and the next morning I went over there in a panic and he was, God bless him, um, he came over and brought his welding truck and fixed my, uh, cut out the crushed mangled portion of the um, exhaust and replaced it with some more tubing and called it good and he said he wasn't going to tell my dad and off I went and I didn't say anything and I was uh, I was good so I'm going to say a week two weeks went by I'm in the clear all good um, I happened to be coming home from work and at the time I was working part-time at my parents' business. So at that particular day, for whatever reason, um, my dad and I um, met up at a light on the way home. He was in his car, I was in the pickup truck, and he was sitting a lot lower than I was. Not that he could see under the truck, but that his where he was sitting, he could hear the exhaust. He heard an exhaust leak. It was, I never heard it. I couldn't hear it. I didn't know what I was listening to anyway, but this little pitter patter of a exhaust leak, um, that I could totally pick up now. But back then, dumb kid, get home. Everything's good. Um, getting ready to go in the house and dad says, Hey, hold on a second. Uh, start that back up. I start it back up and, uh, he goes, you hear that? I said, no, I don't. What are you talking about? I'm getting nervous. Now I remember kind of the sinking feeling that if he bent over and looked under that car or under that truck and saw the weld marks and whatever that I was busted and I, I for half a second thought, okay, well, he's in, you know, a pair of slacks or whatever he was wearing at the time thinking he wasn't going to bend over and look under the car. And you know what? Being super old school the way my dad was, he immediately bent down. I don't know if he set his briefcase down and knelt on it or what he did in the driveway, but he bent down, looked under there and took one look at that, jumped up, looked at me. And I just admitted what I did because at that point he, um, he knew I did something. He just didn't know how I fixed it. So I admitted that the neighbor, uh, Frank 
<laughs> came over and fixed the exhaust. And uh, I think I got grounded. I don't remember what happened to me at that point. But he was more concerned about the transmission because when he looked under there, um, the transmission, the bottom of the transmission was banged up wicked. And that's the transmission plate. And that truck wasn't made for off-roading. So there was no shielding or anything. And I had put a couple big dents in the bottom of that. Well, eventually that was going to make the transmission probably fall out or break not to get too technical in this podcast about being a dumbass, but uh, uh, he made me take it to the tranny shop and probably pay for it with my own money. They checked it and everything was good. I didn't do any damage to anything except one small exhaust leak that Frank missed when he was so graciously helping me out, which got me busted. And then um, I remember my dad and Frank talking and Frank just laughing and dad being really mad, at least in front of me. And then I'm sure they laughed their asses off when I wasn't around. But, um, yeah, I got busted. So not too long after that, I was, uh, I want to say junior, junior year of high school, graduation day, last day of school, not graduation day, but last day of school, you know, that you can, I remember, I love the last day of school growing up always was that it was, you know, the weather we were in Southern California. So this amazing weather and it always seemed so bright blue out and like summer was here. The most awesome feeling ever. Oh my God, I can't wait. And it was one of those days we we're coming home. I was coming home in the truck, same pickup truck. And uh, I pulled into a parking lot, like a convenience store to go get a Slurpee and a whatever and came out and jumped in the truck and put it in reverse and promptly backed it up to or backed it into, you know, those big giant concrete or steel poles that are on either side of a fire hydrant in a parking lot so that you don't hit the fire hydrant. Yep. I slammed into one of those and tacoed the bumper in horrible. <laughs> and uh so I went home now if you're thinking of timing so this was probably three o'clock in the afternoon I get the truck home dad's not home from work yet so I figure okay I can get I can straighten this bumper out and he won't notice so I think I took a piece of wood or a piece of steel and I know for sure I took a sledgehammer and I'm trying to bang this bumper out. Nobody's home yet. I figure maybe I can get this thing straightened out and dad won't catch me. And the where we lived, you could see people, the approach, because there was kind of this canyon area in front of the house and you could see the road on the other side. And my dad had a convertible, I think, at that point. And... He was coming up that hill and I didn't notice him, but he could hear me banging on the back of that truck with a sledgehammer from kind of across this canyon. And I noticed immediately when he gunned his car because I could hear the motor and looked up and here he comes down the driveway, jumps out of the car. I'm standing there with a sledgehammer covered in sweat trying to fix this dumbass bumper on the first day of summer and it's ruined. 
another couple hundred bucks out of my allowance for savings or, or I worked it off or whatever I did. I got grounded again. By the time I graduated high school, between having my car and that truck, all, and dad loves to tell this story, so if he listens to this podcast, he's going to be dying, is all four quarter panels of that car, all four corners of that truck by the time I graduated high school had been replaced or fixed from me banging it into something, running it into something. Um, I don't think I was ever hit ever, but I hit everything with that truck. It didn't matter. So the bottom, so the exhaust, the tranny, so underneath, uh, in all four corners, um, I think both door skins were replaced. Um, so I got a lesson in spending money on fixing things that I couldn't fix myself. Um, and, and, Oh, that was after I graduated high school. Once I graduated high school, I was late for work one day, and so I was rushing in my Mustang. And uh, they're not known for handling really well. They're old cars at the time. That was from 1965. And we're 1992, 93, right in there. Just graduated high school. I was working. And crashed it into a tree when I lost control while I was speeding on my way to work late. So, um, younger days, not good at um, taking care of uh, cars. And, well, I did take care of them. I was constantly paying to fix them because I kept breaking them. Which is really funny because now I have um, uh, vehicles at our work that our employees drive. Um, not all the employees drive, but there is a handful of employees that drive, and I go crazy now when anything happens to these cars, and it's total karma coming back to bite me for sure. <laughs> and <laughs> because I was and drove my parents, my father, so utterly, absolutely nuts. Um, with all this crashing that I did as a kid and, um, and fast forwarding to, um, this week I had, <laughs> so I had my truck, another truck. Um, like they keep showing up in my life, um, a diesel and had to have some work done on it and had, um, a tuner package put in it so that it would run a little bit better. And uh, I was talking to this guy who's this crazy diesel mechanic guy um, who races tractors professionally and had this amazing conversation with this guy that does amazing work on diesel engines. And, um, and he said, well, you know, we could give you, you know, we can tune it, you know, a hundred more horsepower uh, or 50 more horsepower, hundred more horsepower, 150 more horsepower. And then it went all the way up four, five, six, seven hundred horsepower. And he was telling me stories about some of these younger guys would come in and get these jobs done on the trucks. And then two weeks later, they would bring them back in and say, detune them. They were too much horsepower. And um, so I got uh, I got a bit of an upgrade. I didn't go crazy because this is still my work truck. It needs to be reliable and it's not a hot rod and um, got a little more pep in its step. And um, this time of year, there's a lot of salt and gravel on the road, etc. And um 
I laugh. I had never laughed so hard as I did when I romped on the gas on that truck and started basically doing donuts in the road. Um, little better driver now. I didn't hit anything, but um, cracked myself up all the way home with my new, uh, my newfound uh, pickup truck uh, that came back to life again, <laughs> and uh, and just had to laugh, and got me thinking about all the other cars and how much time and how much I've learned working on cars. And that's kind of where the story from, from dumbass to adult. Um, my wife at one point had asked me, how do you know how to do all this stuff? And I don't remember what I was working on at the time, but maybe I was working on one of the cars or I was working on something in the house or building something. I don't remember what it was, but she says, how did you learn how to, how do you know how to do this? And, um, I thank my dad so much for being this guy that always knew the importance of being self-reliant and teaching yourself how to fix things and do things, not just pick up the phone and call a handyman or whatever, you know, have somebody else do it, not deal with it. So, you know, in my life now working at the winery and this little farming operation that we have that we work on, you know, we have tractors and we have things and we have equipment and hoses and piping and plumbing and electrical and all these things that need to be worked on, fixed, modified, changed all the time. And my experiences and the people I've been exposed to have taught me how to do all these things over time. And, you know, I know how to do a little bit of everything. Um, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And it's because of my father who is coincidentally teaching himself how to do crazy master woodworking stuff in his garage right now. And I'm kind of more hung up on the uh, welding and trying to figure out how to weld better than just good enough to make it hold together um, is kind of where I'm at right now. So that's kind of something I'm trying to figure out and get better at. But um, it's been a really uh, amazing adult life in regards to being able to be self-reliant. And I think so many Gen Xers, you know, we kind of get this slacker generation thing going on and, you know, just super easy going and whatever, man. But I think what so many people forget is we still come from a generation of being self-reliant and, and figuring it out and doing it ourselves. And that is still super empowering to be able to say, you know, we can do this. We can take care of it. You know, yeah, I can do that. You know, not being afraid, not just calling, you know, Mr. Handyman guy or the mechanic or whoever, you know, obviously there's always a time and a place to call a professional when you're working on something, but to be able to, you know, go fix whatever needs to be fixed and uh, be a little more self-reliant is a pretty powerful, prideful thing, at least in my world. And I think is a direct result of kind of the Gen X generation. You know, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty. You know, we half the stuff that's out there anymore, we invented, um, although still considered the slacker generation and yada, yada, yada. But we are also that inventful generation and well, that's a new fun word. And uh, also people that are you know determined and you know we saw our parents the boomers 
out there working their fool heads off and doing what they were doing. And we were those latchkey kids left home, right? So I had to work on my car if it was out of self-survival. It was out of survival if it was out of making sure it kept running, which I had to do all the time with my Mustang to keep it on the road so I could go wherever I wanted to go. That's what it was. But, you know, it's, uh, I think, really um, (laughs) admirable. And I respect so many people that just kind of can roll up their sleeves and get it done when they need to. And uh, that's always been a fun and exciting thing in my life because I spend 99% of my time every day doing that, fixing it, modifying it, restoring it, cleaning it up, whatever it is. Spend a lot of time doing that. And uh, just last year, year before, um, the local uh, town, about 20 miles away, Watertown, New York, um, used to have all these lamp posts all over their older area. And they were decommissioned a long time ago and kind of upgraded to pop metal or concrete or whatever they were. But these were the old cast iron lamp poles with the ornamental lights on top. And I bought a couple that had been sitting in this guy's backyard for 20 years. I mean, literally in his backyard, out in the weather for 20 years. The tops of the lamps, um, the lights themselves he had in the garage, but the poles were outside. They were cast iron. And um, I spent probably a month um, stripping paint and sanding on this uh, pole and the lamp and restoring the light itself, getting rid of all the old electrical that was in it, fixing all of the glass panels that were in it and, um, and all the fittings in it on the inside of it were all brass and they had all been painted and the thing was a mess and spent a couple months or a month, whatever it was working on this thing, stripping it down, repainting it all. We rewiring the electrical and, Ultimately, one, we bought two of them. Um, I did one of them and took that lamppost. And I think that was when my wife had asked me the question most recently. How did you learn how to work a lamppost? Seriously? I mean, how do you know what to do? Um, we took that lamppost and we put it. Um, and my mother, we had gotten it because my mom really wanted... Um, Mary wanted this uh, lamppost in the, in the roundabout in their driveway on the house that they built on the farm. And they were kind of on this hunt for the perfect light. And I found it. Um, and this is before she passed away. So she knew we had it and we were going to work on it. And, and we ended up putting it up kind of in her honor. It was after she had passed away and we had gotten to rewire it. And my dad, just made a comment about that light a couple days ago and said, well, you know, that thing is just perfect there. It throws all sorts of light and it looks beautiful and it's been out there. And mind you, I was a little nervous on that project. We put it in last year before winter hit and, um, and the way the wind blows through there. And I was thinking, man, the, this top of this thing's going to blow off or it's going to just fall apart, you know, whatever. And second winter in a row and it's still going strong. The light still lights up. It still looks beautiful. And, um, I got another feather in my cap, something else to restore. And, um, it was really a neat, fun project that I kind of ended up doing in honor of my mother and her, her stepmother in her passing. 
and putting it up. And uh, every time I drive in there and it's turned on or I can see it from the farm, from the winery, see it lit up and it reminds me of her. And uh, it's kind of a cool thing that it's there. And so many people comment on it because it's uh, it's a unique light. And, uh, and people that grew up in the area know those lights because they were all over Watertown. And there's a similar version of them up in Watertown now. So you see it in, in you know, the casual observer wouldn't know the difference necessarily, but it's an original, old original light, old school style. So it was kind of cool to know how to fix that kind of stuff and put those kinds of things in and uh, make them work, which is, that was probably by far the biggest thing I had ever worked on. And uh, I might just have an old barber pole from the 50s or 60s sitting in a box on a shelf that I'm getting ready to start working on next. And uh, I can tell you how that one goes. I might actually do a video on that one and show the progress as uh, as we uh, restore it back to its former glory. And uh, it'll be a fun deal. So... Um, thanks for listening. Uh, I had a good time uh, chatting with you guys and uh, please uh, leave your comments, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want to leave them. Um, all my tags are in the outro here. Um, we'll talk to you guys soon. It was great talking to you and uh, have a good one, man. You guys have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Gen X Perspective with Tony Randazzo, where we see things a bit differently. Let's get social. Find us on Facebook by searching Gen X Perspective, Twitter at Gen X underscore podcast, and on Instagram at Gen X Perspective. You can also find us online at GenXPerspective.com and reach out to Tony directly at Tony at GenXPerspective.com too. Maybe you can talk strategy on how to beat Super Mario Brothers 3. Don't forget to subscribe to the Gen X Perspective wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening.